Today is Wednesday, the 20th of April, and we're delighted to have Patrick B with us um, all the way from the United States, from uh, Lakeville, Minnesota. Um, he has been a member of OA since 2015. Um, yeah, we're so delighted to have you share your experience, strength and hope. Um, please take it away. Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, my name is Patrick. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm uh, very grateful for um, the opportunity to be of service to this meeting today um, and to the worldwide fellowship of alcoholics, or excuse me, Overeaters Anonymous. Forgive me if I do that. I'm a member of two fellowships, so occasionally I will, I will cross-reference. Um, I'm really grateful to be a, a member of, of, of uh, Overeaters Anonymous. Overeaters Anonymous saved my life in uh, beginning in 2015. Um, as I said, as a member of that other fellowship, I was uh, 11 years uh, abstinent from drinking. I weighed 400 pounds and was dying of type 2 diabetes. And I would have reported to you at that time that I was living a spiritual life. Um, and, and the truth of it was is that I was living an active addiction. Um, there's a line in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, leading up to step three that says the, the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. And I lived in that usually doesn't think so space for quite a while around food. Food was the first drug that I encountered as a, as a kid. I was a kid that used to put, I'd, I'd, I'd grab a kitchen chair and I'd put a box on top of the chair. And then I'd put a pot on top of the box and I'd climb up that to get to the cupboards. And then I'd climb the cupboards to get to the bag of chocolate chips all the way up in the very top back corner of the, of the, of the cabinet where my mother kept them for baking cookies. And I would eat a, a, a two pound bag of chocolate chips and they would, and I'd be three or four years old when this was happening. They'd find me on the floor of the kitchen smeared in chocolate head to toe. And they'd laugh because they thought that I was a mischievous child. And I, I will report to you that there was something much more sinister occurring at that time. That I had what the doctor describes in, the, in his opinion as an allergy to sugar and to chocolate. And that when I consumed it, I couldn't stop. I was, I was a kid who, who at, at six and seven years old would stand in front of the refrigerator with it open, just gazing in, trying to grab whatever I could to put in my mouth because I needed to change my internal dialogue. I needed to change how I experienced life. And when you're six or seven, I didn't know that that's what was happening. But food, food for me has never been about um, nutrition or, or, or fueling my body. For me, food has always been something to change how I feel. And that's not a healthy situation. Um, I was well over a hundred pounds by the time I was seven or eight years old. Um, I was, I was, you know, I was the kid that my mother took me to the, to the store and had, we had to go to the Husky section. I don't have any real recollection of not being overweight. Um, I don't know that I ever really entered morbid obesity until my later years, but I was always overweight and I was always looking to food um, as a way to feel better about myself. I grew up in an alcoholic home. I was a witness to and victim of things in that home that no child should be witness to or victim of. 
and I wish that's why I was a compulsive overeater. It's not. I, it would have been nice to hang my hat on that, but that's not why I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a compulsive overeater because I have an obsession of the mind and a physical allergy to certain foods. And it took a responsible recovered member of, of Overeaters Anonymous to explain that to me. It wasn't hard for me to figure out. I picked up a drink when I was 13 and alcohol jumped into the driver's seat. And the way I like to describe my, my, the, the duality of my addictions is, is that imagine a car in which you, you're on a long uh, trip off a cliff. Um, and what happens is, is occasionally you switch drivers. You know, one day it might be I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to drink to oblivion and the next day I'll eat my hangover away because, you know, when I'm hungover from liquor, um, I'll binge eat and it makes me feel better. Right. So we're both riding in the, in the same car. You know, it, both my diseases are in the car. One's in the side seat, and one's in the in driving it. And, and, and that's really the way I lived for, you know, um, 30 years. I picked up a drink when I was 13 years old and I went off the cliff. I dropped out of school. I pursued that lifestyle of excess and using uh, food, using drugs, using alcohol to escape my reality for 31 years until I was 44 years old and dying of alcoholism. Um, there's a line in the big book about, um, about the fatal, the grave nature of our condition. Um, at 44 years old, I was walking out of hospital intensive care wards after having heart attacks and into liquor stores. You know, the book talks about what about the real alcoholic? I am the real compulsive overeater. I am the real alcoholic. I am not um, somebody that has a problem. And, and I wish that alcohol or food was my problem. I really do wish food was my problem because I would have just put it down. But what really shows up as my problem is on page 52 of the big book in the, in the middle paragraph um, in, in We Agnostics, and, and it describes my condition perfectly. And I'm grateful that somebody introduced me to this. Um, on page 52, it says, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems. Doesn't say anything about food or alcohol. It says our human problems is readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. I don't ever remember in my life having a, a healthy internal dialogue about myself until I got into 12-step recovery and what I like to call authentic recovery. And by authentic recovery, I don't mean perfect. I mean authentic. I mean that on some days it's a mess and on some days it's awesome and it's everything in between and that I get to experience life on the entire spectrum instead of down just one little narrow path seeking comfort, comfort that I could never find. That I get to experience everything in life because if I don't experience joy, what do I know of despair? And if I don't experience despair, what do I know of joy? And that's what the spiritual path of the 12 steps has brought me to is, is, a, is a willingness and an ability to live life on the entire spectrum. Not just seeking out some comfort, some escape from my current condition, but embracing everything. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. 
Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. Food was always a temporary solution to an internal problem. It was not my problem. It was a poor solution. Now there were consequences to my overeating, clearly, right? I put on weight, I got into ill health. Um, I did a lot of damage to myself with drug and alcohol use. And at, at 49 years old, five years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, I had a triple bypass, um, which means that they split my sternum and re basically rewire my ticker so it operates better. I had a 90% occlusion in one valve and I had another, I had a lot of stuff going on. It was a seven hour procedure in which they repaired my heart. Um, I remember clearly waking up in the recovery room and thinking to myself, well, I've got a pass here. Um, I can kind of eat whatever I want. And I did. And in the ensuing six years, I put on 150 pounds. And I, I, had, I had the big book, the first 164 pages of the big book memorized. I was sponsoring people in another 12-step fellowship. I was doing everything that looked right, except practicing the principles in all my affairs. I was basically full of crap. Um, I knew I had a problem. I knew you guys existed in a way, you know, when you, when you waddle around in another 12-step fellowship, um, occasionally people will tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, there's some folks that might help you over here. But see, you're not going to take it away from me. Because I've got this internal dialogue that demands comfort. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, that I can manage my life, right? So I had to have another first step experience. And I had that first step experience at the 2015 overeaters, or excuse me, the 2015 International AA Convention. There's 65,000 people at this convention in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm waddling around there at 400 pounds. I can hardly walk. I can't walk more than 500 feet. My knees are killing me. My back's in terrible shape. Um, and I'm spouting the big book and I'm spouting spiritual principles and I'm spouting all of this. And, and what I have is a well-developed recovery ego. Because I can come in here and this thing under my nose runs pretty good so I can learn a bunch of stuff and I can, I can parrot it, but I'm not actually practicing it in my life. I have no real 10th step practice. I'm not really looking at my own inventory. Yes, I did a four-step inventory sufficient to remove the obsession to drink, but my my problem isn't drinking. So once that obsession was removed, what I'm stuck with is this living problem. And the way I encounter the world is, is that I have this um, immature idea that I'm supposed to be comfortable all the time. And food brought me comfort. And that's a harsh reality that, 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 that I had to get up against. And it, it, it took a responsible recovered member of this fellowship to snap me out of my my delusional state of mind and, 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 and make me realize what was, was really happening. Rita, if you'd uh, be kind enough to post the pictures. It's 
So the photograph on the left, as you look at the screen, is, is me at that convention. These two people have, um, they are members of AA, good friends of mine, and they have approved the use of this photograph with their faces in it. We, the, the photograph on the right is um, in 2019, four years after my entry into Overeaters Anonymous. I'm down 185 pounds in that photograph, still am maintaining that. Uh, my type two is in, is in full bloom in the picture on the left and in full remission in the picture on the right, no longer requiring medication. Although the picture on the right, you're looking at a man who's had four toes amputated from his feet as a result of the chronic neuropathy that I contracted because I was living in the way on the picture of the right. And knowing that I had chronic neuropathy in my legs and my hands going on in the picture in the left wasn't sufficient to bring me to abstinence. It wasn't a sufficient experience. See, I will, I will, I will go to the gates of insanity or death as the big book says, because I have this demand internally that, that I be okay all the time. I can't face reality. I have to have something between myself and the world. What I don't do well is sober. And that's not a reality that a man who spent 11 years in another 12-step fellowship wanted to face. Obviously, I'm grateful I faced it. Um, what happened in that picture of the left, Rita, that, that if you could um, pull those down. I think everybody's got a pretty good look at the, at the situation. I like to see all your smiling faces. Um, what happened at that convention is um, I was sitting on a bench sweating profusely. The Atlanta, Georgia, uh, the, in the United States, the, the Atlanta, Georgia uh, Convention Center is one of the largest in the world. It's just a gigantic place, just huge. Um, I You could park a hundred airplanes in the place. I mean, it's just gigantic um, because they have one of the world's busiest airports there and they have a lot of hotels and, and whatever and it's it's a warm climate so it's it was a you know pre-pandemic it was a very uh, busy convention town and and from what I've heard is getting back to that those two friends of mine still live there I was staying with them by the way and they were very concerned when I showed up because they hadn't seen me um, live in some way and and you know I'd put on about 100 pounds since I seen him last when I showed up in 2015. So we're attending this convention um, and, and I'm wandering around um, and and um, you know I'm suffering. But if you ask me how I'm doing, it's fine. How you doing? I'm fine. You know I'm 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 putting this up because you're not going to get next to me. You're not going to get the truth because if I tell you the truth, I'm probably going to break down, right? If I tell you what's really going on inside, that I'm just really afraid to go out the door without some sort of a buffer, that I can't really, as a 55-year-old man at the time, I don't know how to take care of myself. I'm 55 years old and I don't know how to take care of myself, mentally, spiritually, or physically. And I can't say that to you because I've created this image as a guy in this fellowship that's got it all together. And I'm dying. I'm literally dying physically, mentally, and spiritually. 
I'm sitting on a bench at this um, convention and, and I did a lot of speaking around in AA. I, I got, you know, I got to travel. I got to do a lot. This thing under my nose runs pretty good. People apparently like to hear what I have to say sometimes. And I got asked to, to do a fair amount of that. And so I met a lot of people. And I had met this one couple in particular. It's not the couple in the photograph. It was another couple. And I always assumed that they were both members of my original fellowship. And it turns out that he was a knucklehead AA guy, but she was one of you. And I had never known that. I just always assumed. And they're the kind of friends that they're nodding acquaintances. I would see them at conventions. I would see them at retreats. I would see them at, at you know, these, these things that I got to attend. They like to travel around and go to these big gatherings, um, live gatherings. And, and I, would get to, uh, I would get to see them there. Um, and, and so I, I was sitting on the bench, um, wheezing, sweating, suffering, um, and these two came up and encountered me and, um, she immediately looked at, at her, at him and said, Hey, go get us a cup of coffee. And he responded with the lines are an hour long. I'm not doing that. And she looked at him and said, go get us a cup of coffee. And he got the message, like only the husband of a wife who is telling her, you know, I mean, he got the message. He immediately turned and went and got, did whatever. It's, she sat down next to me and saved my life. She introduced herself as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and asked me how, or of Overeaters Anonymous and asked me how I was doing. And she began to tell me her story and she'd always been missing. Um, she had a prosthetic leg and she'd always been, you know, and, and, and I had never asked her why. I mean, that's not a question you ask somebody. Hey, how's that? Why is that chunk of your leg lift? And she proceeded to tell me the story of how she was once at five foot. She was like 4'11", five foot tall. She was once well over 200 pounds and had, had lost her right leg to diabetes. And she asked me how I was, damn it. Melissa, why'd you have to get on here? I did a, a, I did a big book study with Melissa here in December and, and she's seen me gurgle from the podium a dozen times. Um, she sat down next to me and asked me how I was doing. And I said, I'm fine. I gave her my standard answer. And she, she looked me right in the eye and said, Patrick, you're full of shit. You're dying. And as a member of Overeaters Anonymous, I can't leave here without trying to tell you that you don't have to live this way anymore. And she stuck her fingers directly in the wound. Now that's not an approach that's gonna work for everybody, but I'm not a guy you can rub on the back and tell me it's gonna be okay. I need the two by four. I gotta have it upside the head and I gotta have it hard. And she gave me that, that day. She proceeded to, now you need to, <laughs> you need to listen to this. I got 12 stepped at a 12 step convention into another 12 step fellowship by somebody who is a responsible 12 step. Right. So if you think you're a little chewed up, you're amongst friends. Um, now, of course, after that encounter with her, we spent 
probably about a half an hour. And, and I, you know, I immediately had broke down and I, I said, yeah, I'm in trouble and, and I really need help. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to take care of myself and I don't know how to eat. And I, I spilled my guts to her. And then of course I walked away and, and, and we did the rest of the convention and, and I went home and I got mad and I ate for a month. And, but in that month, I, I began to pray for the willingness, you know, there's a, I'd been around the big book long enough at that point to know that there's a little line in step six that says, if you still cling to something, you won't let go. We ask God to help us be willing. And I began to ask for the willingness. And one Sunday morning, I woke up and I knew I was going to go to an OA meeting. And I was fortunate that I had a live OA meeting um, about a mile and a half from my house. And I attended that meeting that day that night and and somebody asked me a, another really annoying question at the end of that meeting which was hey what are you going to have for breakfast and I thought well that's pretty rude how dare you ask me what I'm going to have for breakfast and you know something fell out of my mouth at that point um, that you know I, I it was it was a very strange sound and it was why don't you tell me what to have to eat and guess what they did and I found myself in a grocery store picking up food and picking up a food scale um, because I, I weigh and measure. I have a food plan from a nutritionist that I report to my sponsor on a daily basis because I need those guardrails. If, if there isn't a high level of accountability in my life around what's going, actually going in my mouth, I can't do this. If I had the capacity to eat correctly, you'd have a different speaker today, right? I just don't have the ability, you know, I got asked early on in my other fellowship, a couple of questions and, 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 and they're, they're, they were pertinent for me when I came into OA2 and, 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 and they were ringing in my ears a fair amount at the beginning. And one of them was, is it possible you're in more trouble than you think you are? And is it possible that what, the second question is this, is it possible that, that, what's preventing you from having a quality life and a, and a, and a, and a wonderful recovery and in, in, a, in a relationship with God is an experience that you haven't had yet. You know, do you have an opinion about an experience you haven't had yet? You know, I had no experience with weighing and measuring my food and getting a, a food plan from a nutritionist and reporting that to a sponsor on a daily basis and using all the tools of, of Overeaters Anonymous. I had no experience with that, but I had an opinion about it. You people were crazy. I wasn't going to do that. Nobody's going to put baby in a corner. Right. I've got this 11 year blown up recovery ego. I know the big book inside and out. You're not going to teach me anything. It was killing me. What was killing me was my ego. What was killing me was my resistance. What was killing me was my intellect. And when I finally began to ask, my higher power for the willingness to just do one day at a time and be accountable to the, to the process that had been presented to me by, by what he, be, you know, that person that, that asked me that rude question about what I was going to have for breakfast that night became my first sponsor in OA. And I think the results speak for themselves. You know, I am down 185 pounds, but more importantly, I have this relationship with a creator. We went through the steps and, and what I, 
you know, for me, step one was so huge because the unmanageability that I was experiencing as a member of another 12 step fellowship was my, was exactly that line that I reported earlier that's in step three, that I was an extreme example of self-will run riot, though I usually didn't think so in a, in a bunch of areas of my life. But because I wasn't drinking, I could always sort of justify those compartmentalized areas of my life where I wasn't being honest, right? Where I wasn't being transparent, where I wasn't, where I wasn't following what I knew to be intuitive God's will for me, right? You know, the book says after step 10, you, you, we get intuitive thoughts and decisions. And I would have those because I did do work. I didn't just sit on my hands in there. I was working in AA. And I believe that this experience was completely intended for me. And, and I'll tell you why. I had an experience. I was about three months into this, into the OA, um, my OA experience. And I was sitting with one of my AA guys. He was new. And, you know, out of the mouths of babe, I think he had less than 30 days at the time. And I'm sitting with him and, and I pull out a, a weighed and measured snack and I start to eat. And he says, what's that? And I said, oh, that's, you know, I'm doing OA. So I weigh and measure all my food now. And I just gave him a little description of it. And he said, well, I know what that's about. And now I'm looking at a guy that, you know, could barely tie his shoes by this time. And, and you know, he just sobered up and I'm like, okay, genius, what do you got? You know, my ego's right in front. And he says, that's just God giving you the ability to help more people. And it never occurred to me that that's what this experience with food was about, was that I would get to be a member of two 12-step fellowships and carry this, this sacred message to those that still suffer. And, and, and to shout from the mountaintops that permanent recovery is, is available. You know, the, the, book, the book talks about it in a couple of different places. You know, I, I, this, this might be a little bit controversial. And, and I, I want to share with you that I've had two relapses in, in Overeaters Anonymous. I've had to change my abstinence date twice. Okay. So I don't come from this as a position of standing on a pedestal. But relapse is not a part of recovery. It's a symptom of our illness. And if you're in relapse or coming back from relapse, what I want to assure you is, is that permanent recovery is available to you if you will submit yourself to a few simple rules, as the book says, right? It says it in the, in the if you go to the forward to the second edition in the big book, um, it says on whatever Roman numeral page it is, I, you know, I think it's the second page in, but I, in the it's, it's the second page of the forward to the second edition. And it says, the physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma, but it failed. But when the broker gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual remedy for his malady with a willingness he had never been a, before been able to muster. You know, when I got 12-stepped into OA, that's what happened. I began to pursue this spiritual remedy, not just the physical abstinence, but the spiritual remedy with a willingness that I had heretofore never been able to muster. So I would, I would ask you, where are you currently at in your relationship with God? Where are you currently at in your relationship to the steps? What, what, what area of your life are you, are you compartmentalizing and not willing to look at if you're suffering? 
because we can sit in here abstinent and suffer from the malady, right? I can be I can be not participating in the in the compulsive overeating um, piece of this, and still be dying spiritually, right? Restless, irritable, and discontent will show. You know, I'll, I'll walk around angry. I'll, I'll, my relationships will suffer, right? Because I'm not spiritually connected. Um, he sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1959. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, one compulsive overeater with another, was vital to permanent recovery. So that's one section in which the the, in the book that, that it's used. And then if you go to, um, after the 164, if you go to the forward to Dr. Bob's story, right? It says, a co Dr. Bob's Nightmare, a co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, the birth of our society dates from his first day of permanent sobriety, June 10th, 1935. I am here to report to you if you are suffering, that permanent recovery is available to you. The relapse is a symptom of our illness, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. We can, I, we, it happens. Don't beat yourself up for experiencing the symptoms of your disease. Ask yourself what actions you're willing to take to move forward from that, especially if you're new, right? I describe myself as recovered. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Why? Because in the forward to the first edition, it says that I can recover from a hopeless state of mind and body. I no longer obsess from, about foods, certain foods. So I no longer ingest, ingest them and trigger the allergy. I'm recovered from that state of mind and body. I'm not cured of compulsive overeating. I need all of you. I need my relationship with a higher power. I need the big book. I need the Overeaters Anonymous literature. I need to be actively engaged in the fellowship and sponsoring others. I need to be standing on all three legs of that stool, recovery, unity, and service that are on our medallions. I need to be participating in any of that. Whoa, wait a minute. All I want, whoa, 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 whoa. Patrick, whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy with that. All I wanted to do was quit eating. Well, the book says that, you know, to follow a few simple rules with the process requires. Almost none of us like somewhere in, uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's in, uh, there is a solution. Almost none of us, yeah, there is a, page 25. There is a solution. Almost none of us life, the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for its successful consummation. You know, I'll hear the word suggestion thrown around our fellowships quite a bit. And yeah, I, I get it. You know, I know why we do that because, you know, but what if the disease demands a certain set of actions in order to recover from it? You know, I, I will get occasionally a sponsee will pull, always asking too much of me. And I'll always ask, what's your disease gonna ask of you? Because it asked me for four of my toes, 
and damn near my right leg. And it and it asked me for my for my heart disease. And it asked me for type two diabetes and the and the loss of the feelings in my fingertips. And it asked me to to give up almost every quality relationship in my life. And it asked me to have to go and do amends with my family for putting them through watching me die of alcoholism once and damn near die of compulsive overeating again. Is that four step really that difficult? What's compulsive? You know. I was being asked to give up every dignified aspect of my life by my disease. And I walk into the fellowship and you guys say, hey, put, put your food on a scale. And I'm like, whoa. That second half of, of, of the first step's a real bear. That's what's unmanageable. What's unmanageable in me is my opinion about something that I haven't tried yet. So I was very politely told to shut up, take the actions and report back what happened. And I think you can see the evidence in those photographs that were up that not only did I lose weight, but if you look at the smiles on the two faces, Rita, if you could pop those back up. Look at the smile on the big guy and look at the smile on the other guy and look at the eyes. I would propose to you that what you see on the right side is an authentically recovered man. And that what you see on the left side is a guy who's in pretty desperate condition, trying to put on a good face. I feel for that guy today. I have nothing but compassion and love and understanding for that big dude. He was so afraid. He was in so much trouble. And you all saved my life. What does it look like today? What it looks like today is that I get to do a lot of this. Um, Rita, you can take those down if, if you please. Uh, I get to I get to um, carry the message. I get to participate in my local OAC. We're back to some live meetings here, which I'm really grateful for. Um, I'm still doing a bunch of Zoom stuff too, which I'm I'm really good. Um, Melissa C is on this meeting here, and and in in December of last year, I got the distinct pleasure of traveling. Um, to Jekyll Island, Georgia, and, and doing a, a big book seminar there. Um, you know, what it's done for me is everything that I always wanted to be able to do, which is just to carry the message to those that still suffer, that what's available here for you is, is permanent recovery from compulsive overeating and a big life, a life that you'll, you will begin to have the freedom to choose what it is, how you want to live, and what you want to do. You'll no longer be confined by the, by, the, by the spiritual malady. You'll no longer be confined by the physical um, detrimental effects of, of compulsive overeating. What we have here is a sacred path to a real freedom. Um, you know, um, Anna, I don't know how much time I have to talk. So. Yeah, you're actually 30 minutes in. Okay. And. How much time am I supposed to talk? I'm, I'm not sure. 
We're not we're not strict on it. It's usually thirty minutes, but you can keep going. Okay, okay. So I'll go another hour and a half, and we'll be good. Because um, <laughs> Melissa knows I love the sound of my own voice. Um, but what it's like now is what I'll tell you. And what it's not like now is really, really good. I have wonderful relationships with my family. I have wonder, wonderful relationships with people all over the planet in both my fellowships. Um, I, get, I, get to, uh, I get to participate and watch a lot of people recover from this disease. I also get the other side of it. Last week, I attended a, a, the funeral of a 42-year-old man um, in my, who was a member of my other fellowship for a period of time that the pandemic separated him from the fellowship and from the program. Um, and they found him overdosed. And, and, and I, had to, I had to have a conversation with his wife and his two little ones, right? Um, addiction kills and food addiction kills. Um, you know, how many health problems do we have among us as a result of our compulsive overeating? Um, so uh, I get to live free to that. I get to be of service to, to many, many people. Um, and I get to share my experience, strength, and hope with anyone that, that, that will have it. Um, I am a living, breathing, walking, talking example of the power of God, the 12 steps, and the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm profoundly grateful for the opportunity to share that with you all today. And I'll pass. Wow, Patrick, that was incredible. Thank you so much for your share.